It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hadit podcast. Uh, 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 We're here today on the 25th of March, 2015. We're here with our co-host, Jay Masser and Berta Simmons, and uh, uh, today our guest speaker is, is Dr. Uh, uh, Paul Hartch, and uh, uh, he's uh, uh, working with Hyperbaric Chambers. Uh, uh, doctor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. It's your pleasure to have you on. Uh, we do have uh, numerous veterans there uh, on the ha- as HADIT members. Uh, I don't know if you know very much about HADIT. It's a very uh, or, uh, veteran-oriented uh, website uh, that uh, answers uh, questions. We have forms that deals with any, uh, I guess you can say about anything that comes down the road a veteran might in, encounter dealing with the claims process, mm-hmm. and it's it's a not-for-profit. I mean, well, it, nobody accepts any fees for, for working there at all, uh, and uh, uh, so we do have what... We're up uh, with 12,000 members now, uh, something like that. Uh, uh, 12,000, over a million hits a year, yeah. and uh, 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 I think the stats are at the site. Yeah. That, oh, that's yeah, great. We're a pretty busy website, so... Um, it, it's certainly a uh, program like what we're going to have today is very much needed because the PTSD veterans and the TBIU veterans uh, are there, and as we know, they're, they're two separate ailments, but if they could be helped uh, with the use of the hyperbaric chamber, it would be wonderful. I mean, and I could uh, see where that, that could be possible. Could you give us a little rundown on your program, how you you got powered up here? And, and uh, I think you've run a, a series of tests uh, uh, to see how all this works out. Uh, how, how did they come out? Uh, well, there are a few questions in there. The, the tests have come out, uh, to me, not surprising. Uh but very well, uh, based on everything we've been doing in the last 25 years. Uh, the long story short is uh, I made a discovery treating our divers in hyperbaric chambers down here uh, in the late 1980s, uh, divers out of the Gulf of Mexico, both commercial and sports scuba. And we found that we could treat their bends, decompression sickness, which involved the brain. Uh, everybody's familiar with the joints, uh, uh, decompression sickness, but people also get it, in fact, most people get it in the nervous system. And we found that we could treat that uh, long after the injury, days, weeks, even months, contrary to what the U.S. Navy had taught for years. And when we realized that uh, we weren't treating bubbles in their brains, we were treating the damage caused by the bubble passage, we started looking at other diagnoses. started with Louisiana boxers who had brain injury from boxing, and then children with neurological disorders and people with all sorts of problems, uh, dementia and stroke uh, and so on. And over the years, um, progressively, I accumulated a large experience and finally went to Walter Reed in 2004 and offered to treat veterans and demonstrate to them that we had a treatment for their most pressing problem. And we were somewhat rebuked, and so we decided to do this on our own. Um, And so I've done a series of investigations, and uh, we have had nothing short of stellar results that now others have duplicated. 
And part of my reason for coming on the show today and agreeing to do this is not only to make people aware, but also to announce that we currently have a study, which I hope will be the last one, um, that came from a congressional appropriation originally to treat nothing but veterans. We opened the study up to civilians as well, but it's for people with mild traumatic brain injury who are still symptomatic from that brain injury or or one or more brain injuries six months to ten years out uh, from the injury. Uh, everybody gets treated, and uh, it's hyperbaric oxygen and computerized testing. So people come here for eight weeks and and stay, and they get one treatment a day. So that's the current thing that we are doing, and we believe that should we get the same results we've had uh, before and that others have now duplicated based on what we're doing, that we'll have a good chance of getting this insurance reimbursed. Hmm. Wow. Well, that'd be wonderful. Thank wow. you. Wow. Uh, what about living quarters, doctor, while someone's there uh, for eight weeks? Uh, uh, is there... Uh, how much out-of-pocket expense is a veteran required to pay? Well, that's that's part of the problem. Uh, or I should say that's something that we're working on. Just yesterday or two days ago, we got a commitment from one of the VFW posts. They have donated uh, a two-bedroom apartment for a veteran uh, to come and be a participant in the study. And what we're doing is trying to look for additional housing uh, to do that, um, otherwise patients uh, stay at you know hotels or uh, if they have friends in the city, uh, uh, people have stayed with friends, relatives, uh, church organizations, and so on. Um, but uh, and we're hoping more uh, resources will become available. Yeah, I can see that being becoming a serious issue because a lot of veterans certainly could not afford a hotel for, for uh, that uh, long period of time. Right. Um, but if you could get churches and, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, different veteran organizations involved, then, then uh, you know, I think you could probably make it all work out. Yeah, we've had uh, people do some fundraisers uh, in their hometowns. We're currently uh, treating a veteran from Arizona uh, outside the study. And uh, they did a, uh, they had a motorcycle uh, event and some other things and raised money in in Arizona to send him out here. Um, So people have been creative in how they've done this. there's some facilities that have given, or we have a number of them that have given discounts on lodging. Um, the transportation here, though, we've secured through Mercy Medical Air, which is a nonprofit that's been in existence for 39 years now out of Virginia Beach, Virginia, started by uh, retired Air Force Colonel Ed Boyer. And last year they flew, they, or a year and a half ago, they celebrated their 100,000th patient. And it's for civilians and veterans who have medical needs outside of their local area. And um, he started with a private network of pilots that now they're contracted with the airlines. And they fly people in need of medical therapies to wherever they need uh, the services. So he uh, flew a number of veterans here for my first study uh, and has pledged to do so and is doing so for participants in this study. It's a great organization, Mercy Medical Air, and within that organization is Air Compassion for Veterans, which is specifically for veterans. Well, that's a wonderful program there. It is, Uh, and they provide air, bus, rail transportation. It's been very helpful. Not at all. Zero. We, we've met with them multiple times in Washington, D.C. 
they want us to do studies through the VA, which means having to be on staff at the VA. Uh, they will not uh, help with funding of any project outside the VA. Um, even though it is designed to treat veterans, uh, we've had a lot of trouble recruiting local veterans here because the VA will not even disseminate the information on it. Um, so they have been a, um, uh, a very disappointing um, source of referrals. And it's not the actual people on the inside. We have the VA employees who deal with the brain injured have wanted to refer patients, but uh, the administration has prevented them. So um, unfortunately, we've had to do this outside of the VA or try to reach the VA population through indirect means, uh, which are somewhat tangentially. Um, so uh, I, I can't be positive about that, unfortunately. <laughs> And we've, we've, we started in 2007, 2008, trying to put this in front of the VA. Um, but uh, it has been a very difficult sell. What about the... Go ahead, Bertha. Oh, uh, what about the Institute of Medicine, Doctor? Have you had any uh, import uh, to or from them? No, we've, we have not directly approached them. You know, they do reviews of things and make policy statements and, and so on. And yeah. this, it just hasn't been the venue. Part of what happened in all of this was uh, the first case that I treated in 2008 was a retired Marine with seven concussions, severe PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and at 25 hyperbaric treatments, he claimed his PTSD was cured. and. Wow. Sure enough, it was, and it was so startling. I had no idea or expectation that we would have been able to do anything for his PTSD. I was mainly treating him for the wound in his brain from the seven concussions. And lo and behold, his PTSD improved. So I reported the case. You can search it online. It's a free in a free journal, uh, a medical journal, uh, Biomed Central Cases Journal, and. You can search it under my name, Harch, um, and you'll see his brain scans, which are just remarkable, brain blood flow oh. scans. Um, and after your, the, pardon me? Doctor, could you spell your last name? H-A-R-C-H, like March, but with an H. Okay. Uh, gee, that, that's incredible. I'll be checking that out today. That's... And so based on that, to... we treated a variety of patients. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But I was wondering, what do you attribute that to? Uh, well, uh, I've given this a lot of thought. In fact, I just put it in the paper that we are submitting for publication on the full 30 veteran study. And, uh, you know, PTSD, the recurrent thoughts, uh, intrusive thoughts and so on, can almost be thought of as a as a circulating loop of... of um, brain activity, you know, where the thoughts just go, it's it's almost like a, um, (laughs) you know, a NASCAR race, cars just going round and round and round and round. And as it turns out, the circuitry, the areas in the brain involved with PTSD, the PTSD thoughts and avoidance and nightmares and so on, overlap with a number of the areas that have been identified as the primary injured areas in traumatic brain injury. Hyperbaric oxygen is a treatment for wounds anywhere in the body and of any duration. And we believe that what is happening is is in the process of treating and repairing these injured, wounded areas in the brain, we are somehow interrupting the circuitry involved in PTSD. Um, and I, I, I mean, that's just a really primitive guess because this is such a complicated subject and nobody has any idea, really, truly, what is going on. Um, uh, but, it, you know, it's my guess that it may be what might be happening. Uh, that is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, I've I worked with uh, PTSD Combat that's, uh, as a volunteer for the VA, and I married uh, one of them in the, uh, from the vet center. 
Uh, he describes his flashbacks, as they call them, as right. a, a looping, looping like a video that you thought you were watching and it keeps repeating and repeating, and it would overlap everything he could see. He said it was like superimposed on his vision, and uh, he had traumatic brain uh, disabilities after Vietnam uh, due to a stroke. Uh, but what you said, uh, he was also in an explosion and was knocked out for a few minutes. This was Vietnam. Uh, the minute he came conscious again, he had to find the body of uh, his buddy who was killed in that explosion. So I'm thinking sometimes that that's T- that TBI, uh, that he might have suffered a TBI. But what you're Unquestionably. Rather, you know, it's absolutely phenomenal what you are saying. Uh, well, let me let me elaborate. Is... I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to butt in. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. Uh, the thing is, Doctor, I'm uh, the VA would bend over backwards if they could come up with some sudden cure for PTSD, so they didn't have to pay compensation out. So I'm surprised that they're not a little bit more uh, interested in, in this particular situation, unless you have not. Uh, printed a paper on this yet or anything like that? No, we have. Oh, my God. Uh, In the Journal of Neurotrauma in 2012, you can also search for that under my name, we published the results of the first 16 patients that were in the 30-patient study. And it, it was for, it turns out, when we recruited patients for the study, it was supposed to be 15 with traumatic brain injury, post-concussion syndrome, and 15 with the combined diagnoses of post-concussion syndrome and PTSD. We couldn't find many patients with just the diagnosis of post-concussion syndrome, many veterans. Almost everyone who was calling in had both diagnoses. So the study, that first paper, is on mainly people, veterans, with the combined diagnoses. And to this date, there is no treatment for those combined diagnoses. This is the only one. And the results are startling. They are amongst the most powerful results published on either of these diagnoses. And you would think that uh, they would want anything, but there's a lot of politics behind it. Absolutely. and it, yeah. if I could just elaborate for a second what you were saying about TBI and uh, the veteran with PTSD. This came out at a talk I gave last month to the Louisiana Veterans Affairs Annual uh, Service Representatives Training Seminar where all of the field representatives for the Louisiana uh, the State Veterans Association get their training. And there are, I don't know, 75 of them there at the meeting. At the very end, a half a dozen of them came up and wanted to know more about this and potential treatment. And the one guy said to me, you know, I'd really love to be in your study, but unfortunately I've got PTSD. So, you know, just plain PTSD. I I don't have TBI. But you know something? I can't get rid of these headaches ever since that last explosion. And he said, I haven't been able to think straight. And he he just ripped off this litany of symptoms all due to the explosion. And it dawned on me, this was another example of misdiagnosis, where he was given a convenient diagnosis of PTSD, when in fact his primary diagnosis is traumatic brain injury. And that goes to the problem in Vietnam. PTSD was mainly a diagnosis that was developed after Vietnam, based on the Vietnam veterans. Nobody screened the Vietnam vets for traumatic brain injury. And what were the munitions in Vietnam? Booby traps, mines, mortars, grenades, all of the things that are in Iraq and Afghanistan. And yet these guys came home and nobody paid any attention to traumatic brain injury because it was thought to be an innocuous injury. Nothing happens as a result. So PTSD got defined based on the symptoms of all of these men coming out of Vietnam, many of whom had traumatic brain injuries. And that leads us to the problem we've got with the military's instrument, that PTSD checklist. So many of the symptoms on there are not PTSD. 
their traumatic brain injury symptoms. Extraordinary. What's the cost of the treatment, doctor? Well, it depends on where you get it done. If you try to get it done in the hospital, they bill it at $2,000 an hour. At our clinic, we've stripped it down to our cost, which is $200 an hour. So for 40 treatments, it's $8,000. Does Medicare pay for that? No. And it's likely Medicare Mm. will not pay for it based on what they have told me in the past. In November of 2001, I submitted an application to them to have Medicare reimburse for treatment of acute severe traumatic brain injury with hyperbaric oxygen. And there was substantial evidence published in the medical literature showing that this could reduce the death rate by 60%. Wow. And they told me they would not approve it because the studies were done on younger people, and it didn't apply to the Medicare population, which was over 65. That's your Vietnam vet population. Well, it's getting to be. It's getting to be now. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that it's for old injuries. So what we would have to do is a study on Vietnam veterans with traumatic brain injury who are over 65, showing that we could improve their post-concussion syndrome, which was 40 years old. And the medical community won't accept that because they're going to say, well, listen, these guys now, they're 40 years out. Wait a minute. They've had other injuries. Uh, They may smoke. They may drink. They may just be getting old and they're demented. Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Hart, you're not even treating what you say you're treating. You know, so our chances of, of realistically getting this ever reimbursed by Medicare based on what they've previously told me, is likely very slim. Mm, So we're trying to just prove it in the younger population now and then maybe in the court of public opinion be able to leverage this thing up to where it can be more widely used in the older population as well. Are you in contact with uh, veterans groups such as IAPA, Afghanistan, uh, we, Iraq, yes, Ireland. we've tried. Uh, yeah. I've sent them oh. multiple, uh, you know, uh, entreaties to disseminate our information on the study, et cetera, and they haven't um, really shown any interest. So we we haven't had wow. success there. The VFW, American Legion, and others uh, have shown interest. Good. How about the DAV? Uh, we've reached out to them as well. I, I can't remember the, their response. I, I got to tell you, for this study, I have called so many veterans organizations. I bet. I've got three people working on this. Myself, uh, my wife, who's a nurse, um, our study coordinator, and we've hired a, a paralegal who uh, to, to do part-time work who also has reached out to all sorts of different organizations and sources. In fact, I just uh, presented at AeroFest in Mobile, Alabama. It's a big wounded veterans event last weekend. Have you had any contact? Uh, What about the uh, uh, House Veterans Committee? Have you contacted them? Uh, I testified in front of the VA uh, the House Veterans Affairs Committee in um, November, uh, excuse me, July of 20, uh, gosh, let me think of this now, 2010. They had a hearing on traumatic brain injury and PTSD. And I presented our findings to that date. We talked about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we haven't had any further follow up. Well, Doc, you, 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 need to, you need to try to get back in there because every two years that committee changes because of the new Congress and the yeah. VA is so good at delaying stuff that every two years that once they get an issue on the table, then they know how to uh, tap dance around it for two years until it goes away. So it's time yeah. to do it again. Yes, it is. I, I Part of the problem, you know, I, I'm one guy and trying to do so much of this is... Uh, a little bit overwhelming. Part of the the recent problem has been, based on the work I've done, the Department of Defense has 
performed now a number of studies with hyperbaric oxygen, and unfortunately they they maldesigned them and made a critical error. And while they have gotten positive results, they have publicized them as negative. Um, and what they did was they did studies with multiple doses of hyperbaric oxygen, and they showed that some were harmful, or one in particular was harmful. Others had no effect. And the ones that I have used and some others have used came out positive. Um, uh, but because one was a lower dose that they don't typically think of as hyperbaric therapy, they called it a sham treatment, when in fact it was a true treatment. So what they've done now is publish five papers in the medical literature claiming this doesn't work. And it's totally misled the scientific community, the VA, Congress, everyone, when to this date this is the most effective therapy for veterans with traumatic brain injury and even PTSD. You know, there's another option you can also try, doctors. A big number of medical professionals, doctors and uh, the like, you know, medical professionals inside of the Senate and Congress itself, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like veterans speak. A, we speak a different language because you know we have we're veteran we're veteran focused, and you know we use a lot of words. And you know, you doc, doctors are the same way. They've got their own language, right? And if you could reach out to some of those doctors that are in the Senate and the Congress, and as a doctor, it might give you a little better advantage. Well, that's a great idea, and we're in the process of doing that. It turns out one of the largest delegations of doctors is from Louisiana. Uh, Senator Cassidy just got elected from Baton Rouge. He's our new senator. Um, And we have uh, other doctors here in the state that are also, that are in the House. So, yes, I I mean, we're we're trying that. Um, And we're going to look at that angle as well. uh, I know some states have a veterans coalition, you know, that... uh, they have roundtable monthly meetings, and the, the Congress comes in, and or, or the Senate, and they, you know, and they have open discussion, and uh, you know we can bring that up here to the next meeting, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that's what you need. You need it's kind of a grassroots thing. Uh, the VA well, don't want is. to touch it because the VA don't want to touch it because it costs money. Right. And uh, you know, that's the bottom line. Money controls the whole picture. True, but in fact, what they haven't realized is that. The one-time cost of this greatly exceeds the average cost that they are spending per year on medications and other therapies for veterans with these diagnoses. The Congressional Budget Office a couple of years ago published a review of this. I think it was in 2012. And they found that if veterans entered the VA system and had diagnoses or were diagnosed with traumatic brain injury, PTSD, or both, Four years later, 70%, 80%, and 96%, respectively, of those guys and women with those diagnoses were still getting cared for. So what it said was they've got no treatment for it, and they're spending on average five to $6,000 or more per year, every single year for health care for these diagnoses, uh, sometimes a little higher. And they're getting nowhere. But don't they realize that there's other benefits to your treatments too, not just for TBI and not just for brain injuries. There's also, you know, it's also effective for, you know, say for example, if a person's got lung problems, oxygen, you know, oxygen problems, and things like that, infections. It, it, it's you know, it's good treatment for everything. Well, so it, it can is be over and above. Yeah. It no is, but surprisingly, yeah, they have not looked at that evidence. I'll give you the best example is diabetic foot wounds. I wrote the scientific argument and application to Medicare in 2001 that eventually was honored and now reimbursed by Medicare for treatment of diabetic foot wounds with hyperbaric oxygen. Mm. There's a pile of evidence showing that this is effective and can reduce amputations. But there are almost no hyperbaric facilities in the VA throughout the United States. Mm. And the VA population. Pardon me? It'd also be good for neuropathy, wouldn't it? Uh, Some forms of it. Any kind of nerve damage. 
that's a great thought. And in fact, in a general way, yes, you can say that. But it, we haven't found it works so well for certain types of neuropathy. For others, it does. For instance, we found it's very effective for people who have chemotherapy-induced neuropathy. And diabetics will have some improvement in their sensitivity in their feet. Uh, but some other forms uh, may not be quite as uh, responsive. But generally, the principle is hyperbaric oxygen is a treatment for wounds in any location and of any duration in the body. So it doesn't matter whether it's a brain wound, a nerve wound in the arm or leg, a uh, wound in the liver or the heart or on your foot. Depending on the dose of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you can treat these wounds acutely or chronically. So this all started from <clears throat> from the treatment of divers that uh, get the bends when they go Correct. down and come up too fast. Okay, uh, let's educate the audience a little bit. Uh, we don't have a lot. Sure. Of, there's some divers out there, but the bends is a you know if you dive down to say 100 feet under the water and you know, and you ascend back up, you have to stop every so many feet, you know, for a certain amount of time, depending on how deep you dive, to allow the nitrogen, I guess, to decrease in your blood. And if you come right. up too fast, it can kill you. The nitrogen builds up, and it's pretty bad stuff. Right. Yeah, so uh, that's why they have these things. I know the Navy ship I had, you know, we had divers on board, and we had a chamber, and they came up and they went into the chamber. So that's exactly right. Yeah. So I'm on and, board. I know, I know what you're doing. <laughs> right. And and the the phenomenon was that uh you know as you go deeper and deeper as you go under pressure what ends up happening you dissolve that nitrogen in increasing amounts in your blood. And when you come back up, you have to get rid of it. If you come up too fast, uh, it turns out the, the nitrogen separates, as comes out of solution as bubbles in, in your venous blood. And it returns to the heart and lungs. Uh, and if it gets through the lungs or even through a little opening in the heart, it causes all sorts of problems. Uh, and so what we found was that it, it turns out about 80% of decompression sickness involves the brain and spinal cord. And uh, and normally, if you can get someone in a chamber within an hour of that accident, you have roughly uh, a 90% cure rate with that first treatment. And that's in the Navy primarily, or the world's navies, because they usually have chambers right on site with any diving operation. But at the coastal facilities where we see the sports scuba divers and even the commercial divers, um, they have to get in by boat and then by land. Commercial divers often will get treated offshore, but they often don't report their symptoms unless they're serious because they know that if they get decompression sickness, it's potentially the end of their career, and they try to sit on it, you know, and, and see if it'll go away. So by the time we see them, it's been hours to often days, and by then we're no longer treating what the U.S. Navy was. We're treating wounds in their body that are caused by those bubbles. And that's where we made the discovery. We found that if we used the Navy's high oxygen pressures, they didn't get better. They, I mean, they'd get a little better, and then they'd stop improving. But if we gave them a much lower dose of the oxygen and pressure... We could keep treating them and recover function long after what anybody expected. And so the, the concept was we were treating these residual wounds. Well, now all you've got to think of is what other medical conditions do you have that result in wounds in the body? Stroke, trauma, birth injuries, uh, toxins. You can go on and on. Uh, it's a treatment for wounds in any location and any duration. And once we understood that, the the possibilities were just legion. And that's where we are today. Well, that uh, 
That's an awful lot of research you've done. It's it's too bad you can't get the DA to work with you a little better. But, uh, that's just the way they are. Uh, yeah. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to find the right person, hit the right button there. Uh, have you tried to contact Bobo uh, uh, McDonald? His office. Uh no. Uh, we haven't. Secretary. Yeah, well, we we've been in contact with Shinseki, we've been in contact with the person before them. We've met with the directors of research of the VA three times. Uh I mean, we've been in Washington uh, around quite a bit, uh, mainly through the help of the ex-secretary of the Army during General Ford's administration, Martin Hoffman, who helped us immeasurably until he died last summer. Um but uh, we've had one encouraging development next month at the local VA here. They're having a meeting about changing their policy to allow announcements of studies that are outside the VA. Uh, you know, to, to <laughs> make that available or disseminate information to veterans. Um, uh, they, I, they didn't, mean, Doctor, did they mention fee basis as a possible cost uh, issue? Uh, no, they didn't. It, it, and, see, well, there's no fee for the study. It's free. Oh, Everybody oh, in the I study see. is treated for free. It's not even an issue of money. It's oh, They purportedly have a rule, I don't know if it's just the local VA or what, that they will not announce or disseminate information on a study that is not uh, performed or gone through the VA's uh, Institutional Review Board on Human Experimentation. Now, we had tried to do that. They lost our applications for my co-investigators. They delayed stuff. We finally couldn't wait any longer. Um, and this is after working over a number of years' time. So they will not even give the information or tell a veteran, listen, there's a study out there. You might want to look into it which strikes me as odd. I mean, we're approved by the Army, the FDA, uh, Louisiana State University, and this is a government organization whose duty and responsibility is to, you know, at least provide information, inform veterans on potential treatments that they don't have any, any treatments for, and yet they will not do that unless it's gone through some VA committee process. So next month they are having a meeting on changing that policy to at least give information to veterans or tell them that it's out there and available. So we're hoping that they come to a positive decision and we'll be able to, you know, disseminate this information. Well, what about a what about a portable machine? Well, uh, there's evidence know. that they uh, are effective. Why couldn't you have one, say, for example, get an RV or a truck and put one there with a generator and then announce to do, try to do the studies? You can do the studies at different VAs over a period of time, and you can take that vehicle to each VA and do it that way instead of having to use our equipment, but you would still be on the, on their grounds. That would probably be a different issue, but I think that would be more effective. Well, yeah, but but see, that's what I was talking about. To do that, you have to get on staff at the VA, you have to pass your study in front of their experimental committee and go through. This takes years. I mean, we tried it. Like I said, uh, well, um, we were delayed and delayed and delayed, and finally we just had to give up on it. There's another issue you can also look at, too. Now, a lot of VA hospitals are in conjunction with a teaching hospital. For example, uh, here at Lexington, they use University of Kentucky Medical School, and there's a lot of doctors that go back and forth, and the veterans are treated, you know, by an array of personnel, including residents that are actually in training at the University of Kentucky. Now, if you can get on board with the actual uh, school itself to do things like that, then the well, VA, we, to treat VA patients, yeah. it would be a better issue, and you'd probably have an easier door to kick in. Well, we actually have that situation. LSU is is uh, contracted with and we work with the VA. They're all of uh, two blocks from each other. And, yeah, they're um, conjunction. Yes. Yeah. They're attached. Yes. They're they're very close, and we have LSU people on staff there. We 
uh, our emergency group through LSU um, also staffs the VA emergency room. Mm-hmm. There is overlap. It's just uh, okay. I, it's hard in a, a short radio program to go through all of this. I, I mean, it's been 20-some years. Part of the problem also the medical profession has not understood this therapy. And so my ah. generation of doctors has really fumbled with it for 50 years. And so we're having so, to change perception. You know, you know what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the. You're dealing with the, one of the most uh, uh, discombobulated organizations known to mankind. We know. And it's, Absolutely. Uh, we you know. know I mean, John, you pull your hair out. Yeah, Berta. You know, it, it sounds to me like the beginnings of Agent Orange. Uh, there was a yeah. nurse who worked for the VA uh, in the early 80s that realized that uh, some of the Vietnam vets were uh, seemed to be showing symptoms, but she began to research and found that it could have been from their exposure to dioxin. Well, uh, she was forced into a broom closet. She, she had an office that the VA was so... Um, arbitrary with her that they made it extremely difficult for her to uh, not only do her job as a nurse, but to uh, even try and get somewhere with uh, uh, all the uh, research that she had gathered. And uh, luckily, uh, uh, Agent Orange, you know, is a different issue these days uh, because people were persistent on it. But uh, uh, believe me, doctor, a lot of us on this show are hardcore claimants we have been slapped in the face, kicked in the rear, and knocked down at every level by the VA because they are capricious and arbitrary and don't want us to, they do not want us to know anything. Right. Particularly if there's a good treatment out there for something. Uh, you know, if there were good cures out there for everything and, and veterans were going to real doctors and getting a better medical care, uh, uh, what would happen to the VA medical system? You know, if they all went to Medicare uh, instead of, uh, you know, uh, the VA hospitals and used their own uh, doctors. Uh, you know, like you say, there's a lot of politics. Right. There's an, a lot of old school philosophy. Yes. There are gatekeepers for every new secretary. So for uh, Secretary uh, Robert uh, McDonald does not seem to be affected by the gatekeepers because he comes from an entirely different background. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of us hardcore segments, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you're you're going through what so many people at our website can relate to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm just astonished at this show. Uh, I've got a lot of your links from Google I can post at the website. Uh, I'm sure your testimony at the house is, uh, you know, online at Google. I'll I'll put that there uh, later on today or tomorrow. Uh, This is important stuff, Gerald and John. You know, I'm very grateful that we're talking to Dr. March about this uh, because we never got this far. How big is this thing? How How big is this chamber? I mean, could could... Engineering-wise, could one be built, say, for example, uh, maybe like a room size or something where you could treat multiple yes. listeners at the same time? Like maybe They come in all time? different sizes. Mm-hmm. The, the classic ones are single-person ones. Uh, like the, right. We like to joke the Michael Jackson signature model, you know, the clear <laughs> acrylic oh. clear acrylic tube that uh, appeared on the cover of the National Enquirer. Uh, yeah. They also had one, Ronald Reagan, in one. That's the most common one, um, but uh, we have right down the street here at the hospital, uh, we have the big chamber that we use for diving accidents and for treating multiple people at once. It's 32 feet long and has two compartments, and it'll seat uh, 10 or 12 people. Um, wow. And yes, they have hyperbaric rooms that were uh, developed a few years ago. Uh, there is a uh, system out of Australia it looks like a centipede. They come in little rectangular uh, modules that you can attach to each other depending on your patient volume. So if you have a high-volume place, you can have three or four of these segments strung together. You walk into it and sit down. It's eight feet or more in diameter, ten feet. So they, they come in. The pressure vessel is pretty simple technology, and uh, you can make them in just about any size. 
In fact, in Cleveland in the 1920s, they built the Steel Ball Hospital. It was a five-story steel ball hyperbaric hospital. The whole thing was under pressure. You can, you can look at it online. If you look up Dr. Cunningham uh, or uh, Mr. Timpkin, who is the man who funded it and built it. You got a, a lot of possibilities the there. They're ahead of the curve on everything when it comes to research and things like that, especially for veterans. You know, they they did a lot of more advanced research in Vietnam and things like that, and they started taking care of business a long time ago before we had our hands in our pockets and doing nothing. So, the Aussies have well, got it going is, on. It's an old technology. You know, it's been around since uh, yeah. 1662 was the first application wow. of it. Wow. Uh, Doctor, after... Oh, excuse me. Go ahead. Uh, I was just curious. After the test is done, uh, uh, after there is, uh, uh, anyone would be in this chamber, um, at that point, are they given a blood test and maybe an MRI and then they, like a, a, a social survey interview to see what the immediate results were? I mean, how do you determine well, the results? That's a good result I mean, or a good question. You know, when you're dealing with chronic wounds, uh, old wounds, you have to do about 40 treatments, 35, 40 treatments, mm. to wow. get a permanent result. However, even after one, people usually will feel something. What we did uh -huh. in this study, and if you go online, um, I have a website, and, and, and I'm not trying to plug anything here, but H bot.com. It is a huge, huge website filled with a ton of information. So it's a real resource for people to go to. And you will see the brain imaging that we have used to document uh, the improvements. It's brain blood flow imaging. So for many years, what we would do is do a brain blood flow scan. It's the most sensitive way for looking at abnormalities due to trauma in the brain. We would then put someone in the chamber one time at a specific dose of hyperbaric oxygen, take them out, and then repeat the blood flow scan a number of hours later. And we would look for improvement in blood flow. If we saw an mm. improvement in flow, it was 100% predictive of someone who would have improvement within mm. the course of treatment. So that's what we published in the veteran study, and you will see the pictures in that Journal of Neurotrauma article, the changes in the brain after one treatment and after 40 treatments. Well, after 40, we repeated all of the thinking tests we have done on the veterans, and what we found was a 14-point increase in IQ, significant wow. improvements in memory, attention, concentration, 30% decrease in depression and PTSD, and a marked improvement in quality of life with reduction wow. in symptoms. And those figures now are much stronger in the paper that we're going to, to present. So if you go and pull that article up, it's also free online to everybody. We paid the extra fees so it would be available for everyone to look at. You'll be able to see the answer to that exact question. Is that hbot.com? There's quite a bit there. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. There's a lot of stuff on there about veterans also. But if you go search online, Harch Journal of Neurotrauma, you will get the article from 2012. And the, first, the title of it is Phase 1 uh, Study. And then it goes on with the title. But that's the, the initial words of it. Okay. The other place uh -huh. you can go to to read a little bit about this is the website of the International Hyperbaric Medical Foundation, IHMF. And what we've now posted online there are all of the uh, articles, the references to them, of the studies done. Uh, my The protocol I have was duplicated by the Israelis and published last year, and they showed a similar finding improvement in brain blood flow, and cognition. But what is posted there are also the links to the Department of Defense studies and the letters to the editor that point out these errors in their studies. So people can read about this. It's out in the open there. Um, 
and there's quite a bit of information. Would the improvement in blood flow uh, also be there even if the individual had um, atherosclerotic heart disease? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I think we have a caller. Uh, Oh, uh, caller, uh, you have a question or comment here? Uh, this is um, Renee. Uh, I was actually listening in. This is my first time listening to the show, and I see that Bert is there, and I just wanted to say thank you for um, for all her uh, feedback and commenting on my most recent post. Oh, okay. oh you're welcome. Well, Thanks for calling in. Do you have a question for the doctor? Are you familiar with the hyperbaric chambers? Um, only with respect to Michael Jackson. So I connected with that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> outside of that, no, not really. Um, not really uh, in the know about that. But it gives me some information to research. Because I do have a rating for I do have a seventy percent rating for PTSD. Oh, then this might be of interest to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can see. Yeah. That. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, interestingly, uh, Michael Jackson claimed in his Oprah interview that uh, all of this talk about hyperbaric chambers was uh, was crazy. He didn't know where it came from. Um, Purportedly, though, he was treated for the burns he had in that Pepsi commercial when his hair caught on what? fire. Oh, uh, yes. So yeah. in the Oprah interview, Oprah, you know, her last question to him said, okay, I've been through every room in this house here, all 50 rooms. Where is the hyperbaric chamber? And he denied he had one. However, uh, when I wrote my book, The Oxygen Revolution, um, I called his business manager, and he wouldn't deny it. So Michael Jackson uh purportedly was using this for longevity purposes. He thought it was uh, it would help maintain him. And, in fact, his thinking was, was right on, uh, that used properly. Um, this has effects on maintaining health and well-being and even longevity. And it, it does so. In fact, all of the effects that it generates are done through activation of genes in our DNA. And that's mm-hmm. the new information now. It, you know, it's not surprising to me that a person uh, like Michael Jackson would would have embarked on, you know, uh, discovering hyperbaric chamber and how it could extend his life or or make him more, uh, for lack of a better term, healthy. He was a phenomenal. He was smart. So, yeah. and who better than Oprah Winfrey to go look for it to do the same thing? So clearly, the mainstream public um, may not uh, recognize that you know this is something that could be really huge for us in the future. Yes, I agree. I do too, because you know a lot of veterans. Don't want to have PTSD. No, uh, because uh, it ruins their whole life. True. Um, uh, however, TBI, these are still going to have uh, residuals, so won't they, doctor? After they go through this, but they will be less intense. Yes, I, I don't. After you've had it uh, for some time, I, I don't hold this out as a cure but it can substantially improve uh, and partially repair the wound in the brain due to the trauma. The wounds, I should say, they're diffuse. They're all throughout the brain. The trauma from a TBI is all throughout the brain. Yes. If you look at a brain after a traumatic brain injury, the parts that are injured are the connecting tracks. The, it's called the white matter. And right. for the most part, it's in the central part of the brain. And you can think of it as organized mayonnaise, or, or they're like fiber optic cable. They're extremely fragile. So the brain is on a stalk on the brain stem. 
And when the head hits something, I'm, I'm giving you kind of a visual picture. The brain, if you look at the brain, it is a big bulbous structure that sits on a stalk. In other words, it's connected to the spinal cord. It's like a, a broccoli, kind of. Um, and when you shake the brain, when it hits something, you have a trauma. It can be a blast, it can be a car accident, hit the windshield, whatever. But when the brain hits something and stops or is subjected to a force, the brain shakes back and forth on that stalk. And those long white matter tracks in the brain are severed or damaged. And they it's microscopic. It occurs throughout the brain. Uh, I can't even give you the, the, the figure for the numbers of tracks that are involved. But what eventually happens is you it's like taking out part of the cable in a cable transmission. You know, the downstream hmm. homes don't get TV. You can't pass electricity through it. And so it's kind of like lowering bandwidth in your brain. And that leads to the symptoms people have. They have problems processing. They're slower. Mm. They can't multitask. They can't handle high-stimulus environments. Uh, You know, malls, uh, concerts, uh, outdoors, crowds, and so on. And it's all due to the damage to these white matter tracks. And those tracks are damaged throughout the brain. It's not just one little area or two little areas. They're microscopic wounds throughout and that's what's uh, not we been have, appreciated. That's that's incredible. We have a, a few vets uh, I've noticed over the years whose MRIs reveal uh, uh, white matter missing in the brain. It was even in go. my husband's autopsy. And I'm thinking, well, there you go. That uh, is exactly. You know, but it, it, oh, that was my next question. White matter brain, white matter that is missing can be a result of TBI. Is that what I'm getting from you? Yes, exactly. TBI, okay. Standard MRI has not been good at picking it up. It is only recently where they've used this new, you've seen it, called diffusion tracking imaging, DTI. And what the computer is now able to do is give a picture of these major white matter tracks, and it looks like a, a almost a feathery appearance uh, mm. uh, from the side. Almost looks like someone with a mohawk. The, all of these white yeah. matter tracks, and what happens is they're pruned. Huh. They're, they're just missing. Look at it online. Go look up D T I M R I and trauma. And you will see the pictures of them. They're beautiful. They're in color. The computer colors the different directions of the tracks with a different color. And you're able mm. to see these areas. And in trauma, uh, they are shortened. They're, they're, they're damaged, so they don't show up um, on the MRI. And you get a very irregular picture. Well, those are the tracks that are carrying all the electrical uh, information in our brain. And if you damage them and you don't have the transmission, essentially what you're trying to do is live life and have your brain work with less electrical cable in it. Mm. And what you're doing is yeah, you're right. slowing down. It's like going from high-speed cable to the old cable, the, the old modems we had on our computer. <laughs> you remember how slow that was? I hate, yeah. I hate, to be the, <clears throat> I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we've got about a minute left. Uh, Doc, we need to okay. get you on again and continue this discussion because... I think it's just now starting to get good. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Well, just remember this is a treatment for wounds. We really appreciate you coming on, Doctor, and giving us your time here. Uh, this has been very informational to the members there that have it. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't get a call from some of them. Well, that's uh, good. We do have a, a lot of PTSD uh, members with PTSD as well as TBIUs. So uh, uh, this has this really been a very informational program. And 
And, John, I want to thank you and, and Berta for coming on and, of course, the guest, guest caller there that called in. Uh, and she had some good questions. So with that, uh, this will be Gerald Cook with the Had It podcast, and we'll be signing off for now. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the HadIt.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by HadIt.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of HadIt.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of HadIt.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Master Show. All right. Bye-bye.